It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Thursday, September 14th, 2023. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. Alaskans across the political spectrum are mourning the death of Eugene Paltola Jr. Buzzy, as he was known to friends and family, died when the single-engine plane he was piloting on Tuesday crashed shortly after takeoff in a remote area of southwestern Alaska. As reported in the Alaska Beacon, Paltola had retired last year after having served as the regional director of the Federal Bureau of Indian Affairs for Alaska beginning in 2018. He was the husband of U.S. Representative Mary Paltola. He was 57 years old. Anton McParland, chief of staff to Representative Paltola, said she is returning home to be with family following her appearance with President Biden during 9-11 commemorations in Anchorage on Tuesday. The Paltolas have seven children. McParland asked that the family's privacy be respected. Eugene Paltola joins an unfortunately long list of nationally prominent political figures in Alaska who have died tragically in aviation accidents. Alaska Congressman Nick Begich and House Majority Leader Hale Boggs of Louisiana were lost in a plane crash in 1976. The aircraft wreckage was never found. Ann Stevens, the wife of Alaska Senator Ted Stevens, was killed with four others in a plane crash in Anchorage in 1978. Senator Stevens survived that accident but died in a another crash in 2010 after having left office. While a group of green thumbs in Sitka doesn't have a lease yet, the Municipal Assembly on Tuesday gave its thumb up to a revised proposal for a community garden on public land. And although the Assembly wasn't ready to offer the group terms, they didn't hesitate to share some hard-won advice. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. Sitka hasn't had a community garden in nearly a decade since the Blatchley Community Garden closed in 2016. Now, a group wants to bring it back in a bigger way. Supporters of the Sitka Community Garden Project see it as a step toward addressing food insecurity in the community. The project is a collaboration between the Sitka Local Foods Network and Transition Sitka, a nonprofit focused on sustainability. Planning Director Amy Ainsley described the land to the assembly. It's uphill from the post office on Jarvis Street, next to vacant city land and land owned by the Raptor Center, as well as the proposed site for the Sitka Homeless Coalition's tiny home development. But the land doesn't come without its challenges. We know that with some of the challenging terrain that we have in this area, and particularly with a lot of this property um, having muskeg, you know, it's going to take quite a bit more work to advance the design to get to the level of specifics regarding wetlands impact, drainage, site design, parking, fencing, those kinds of things. And so, um, you know, it's a little premature at this point to evaluate the proposal on those bases, but I think it is a, it's really helpful to kind of paint the picture of what this could look like in the future. The Garden Group seeks a long-term lease of the property, and the project would be funded through government grants. The lease would help the group secure those grants. They plan to divide the lot into 51 larger plots and 15 smaller garden beds, which they would rent to local gardeners. There would be on-site water, toilets, and a teaching area. The gardens would be fenced and gated. Across the board, Assembly members were supportive of a community garden at the Jarvis Street lot. Assembly member Kevin Mosher said it was a small but necessary step. 
it's not going to stop Sitka from having some sort of major problem if there's a food supply issue with transportation getting here. It's not going to solve that. But I see this as the beginning or the seed for what could be. I really believe it's a part of what Sitka does uh, needs. Uh, food security is is really, really big issue uh, now more than ever. And I'm glad the applicants have put their heart into this. However, Mosher wondered if they should put the lot out to competitive bid to make sure they were doing things by the book. But Assemblymember Tor Christensen didn't think so. I don't think it needs to go to a competitive bid. I think if we did that, it would be a waste of staff time. And, you know, we, we would be saying we want you to, we're going to put it out to a bid for a community garden. Well, there's only going to be one bid. Christensen felt they could lease the lot to the group outright if they established that a community garden is for the greater community good. The assembly asked the city attorney to investigate whether they would be legally in the clear to lease the lot without issuing a formal request for proposals. Mayor Stephen Eisenbeis was for the garden, but wanted to make sure that any lease allowed the city to opt out if, 20 years down the line, a better use was found for the lot. And he had some advice for the future gardeners as well. I think it's going to be extremely important to put netting over the top of this location. I had a boat parked uh, right across the street for a while, and all the ravens from the transfer station absolutely destroyed my seats. They pulled anything rubber off of the boat um, and cost uh, quite a lot of, of damage. So I think it'll be important to protect the carrots and the berries from all the ravens. Bear protection was noted as a concern, too. The garden would be located near the city's transfer station, where the scent of Sitka's garbage has historically attracted a lot of wildlife. Depending on where they land, the assembly will either be voting on a lease or a request for proposals at a future meeting. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. The U.S. Forest Service in Wrangell is anticipating big construction seasons in the coming years, thanks to an influx of federal funding to the region. KSTK's Sage Smiley reports. There are almost two dozen recreational cabins sprinkled across Wrangell Island and its surrounding area. They're managed by the local branch of the Forest Service. Where the cabins are distributed across both forests on the region is part of a much larger planning effort that is not necessarily in the district's control. Wrangell District Ranger Clint Kolarich says he's hoping his team can help pave the way for more cabins in the coming years, thanks to an influx of federal money to be spent on cabins. I think everyone's pretty aware that we at the district level with the Wrangell Ranger District in conjunction with the Petersburg Ranger District kind of saw the handwriting on the wall and we started a cabins environmental assessment. The environmental assessment or EA is just for clearing potential locations for future cabins if funding becomes available. Coleridge says the process which happens under the National Environmental Policy Act or NEPA is almost done. I just want to get it done. <laughs> we want to be able to say that we're ready. So when, when the funding comes, I love seeing this district, along with Petersburg, be positioned to react quickly when that stuff happens. So not, not every district, even though I love all my other rangers, but not every district is as prepared. And I think we've done a really good job so that we can position ourselves to be ready as soon as stuff's ready for us. Coleridge says because of that preparation, the Wrangell Ranger District anticipates it could secure funding for two cabins in the next two years. One would replace a cabin at Annan Bay, a popular bear and wildlife viewing site just south of Wrangell Island. It was crushed by a tree over the winter. 
but the other site would be a new cabin on Wrangell's road system. We call it right now Little Lakes. We hope to give it a clinkant name. Tori Hauser is a recreation planner with the Forest Service in Wrangell. Up above the actual long lake where the trailhead is, there's another little set of lakes, and it's at the north end of those little lakes. Coleridge says the proposed new cabin site is near an existing site about 20 miles south of town on the island's logging road system. The cabin won't really be visible at all from the road and it'll be right on the water. It's a, it's an amazing little site and that location came from our public comment period. It wasn't something we sat down and drew up in the office. So I'm, I'm excited about that. It's a really neat spot and it's super easy, accessible. And so that that's that's the plan. Hauser and District Ranger Kolarich say they hope the cabin could be constructed the summer after next, depending on funding. It will depend on how funding is distributed at the regional level, which is why the team is doing everything it can to have projects basically shovel-ready. Beyond cabins, Hauser says the Forest Service is working toward building the second phase of a new viewing deck at Annan, a lower deck that will allow closer access to watch and photograph bears at Annan Creek as they fish for salmon. The first phase of the deck wrapped up in 2022. Fingers crossed that we will have new lower deck and access by June 15th of next year. And a new cabin. If so, it might make Annan Wildlife Observatory the newest site on the Tongass, with a near-new upper viewing deck, new lower viewing deck, and newly rebuilt recreational cabin. Along with trail projects and repairs to a highly used dock on Zarembo Island slated for next spring, coming construction seasons could be quite busy. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley. The Ketchikan City Council has voted to cut hours at the town's only 24-7 emergency shelter due to safety concerns from neighbors. The city's annual lease for the shelter, First City Haven, expired in May and has since been month to month. The new lease allows 22 hours of operation per day for the first six months. For the second six months, the shelter would be opened only at night. The decision came during a special meeting on September 5th after the council heard from nearby business owners speaking about inappropriate activity outside the 54-bed shelter. It's a concern they've voiced since the shelter moved to its current downtown location two years ago. Sean Heisman owns Bodden Street Brewing nearby. He said the problem is getting worse. I've called the cops a lot more, at least once a week, sometimes twice a day. It has a negative impact on my business. It has a negative impact on my customers. I now have to walk my female employees to their cars at night. Steve Hayburn is the vice president of the First City Homeless Services, the local nonprofit that runs the shelter. He's also a probation officer with the state of Alaska. He said there are over 800 unhoused people in Ketchikan, 165 of whom used the emergency shelter last August through August of this year. Over the same period, the shelter served over 18,000 meals. He urged the city council against cutting services. In the end, council members voted 4-3 to cut the operating hours of the shelter within the 12-month lease. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News.